1: Hello, Texas. I hope you have found a way to stay warm during these frigid temperatures. Thanks so much for taking time to join us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team of the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. And we'll bring it all from every cold corner of Texas, from the Piney Woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the single-digit freezing temperatures of the Panhandle all the way down to the very chilly Rio Grande Valley.
2: The Ogallala Aquifer is vital to Texas High Plains agriculture. It's also in a state of decline. I'm James Hunt and coming up on Texas Ag Today, I'll share one local expert's thoughts on the future of the aquifer.
3: Groundwater legislation to protect property owners filed in the state legislature. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today.
4: This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Row crop planting is here. Planting of corn, sorghum, and cotton. Vegetable harvesting and sugar cane harvesting also continue. Those stories and more from extreme South Texas.
1: We'll have those stories, plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. There has definitely been some corn planted in South Texas, but how will this cold snap affect it? Jessica Domal takes a look.
5: Farmers in Texas who have already started planting corn and grain sorghum are keeping an eye on the weather over the next couple of days. Dr. Josh McGinty, an agronomist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service in Corpus Christi, discusses the impacts the colder weather could have on corn.
4: When corn emerges and in, in through the early season for several weeks, the growing point is below the soil surface. So if we get a, a freeze, it can burn the, the leaves off of the seedling, but it's not going to kill the plant. And typically you don't see very severe injury that would result in like a yield loss later on. Even if you burn the whole top of the plant off, you still got a growing point there that'll come back. The other thing is when it's been this warm for this long, clay soil, black soil like we have here, there's a lot of insulation for that seed. You know, even if it's just down there an inch, inch and a half, that does a lot for it. And so it takes a lot of cold weather for many days to bring that soil temp down to the point that it could really be a problem. So I think we're okay even on the corn that's just starting to come up. It it might burn those seedling leaves off, but we'll get through it I'm sure it'll warm up pretty quick after that front and we'll be fine.
5: Again, that was Dr. Josh McGinty in Corpus Christi. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel.
1: This winter weather is also having an effect on cattle. Ocultree County agent Scott Strawn says most cattle have a heavy winter coat by this time of year, but the temperature still matters.
4: 18 degrees on that heavy winter coat is kind of your dividing point. And every degree below 18... You're going to have to increase your feed requirements, as a rule of thumb, by 1%.
1: He says cattle who haven't developed a heavy winter coat will require even more feed. The Ogallala Aquifer is vital to the future of agriculture in the Texas High Plains.
2: James Hunt has more from Amarillo. When it comes to agriculture in the Texas High Plains, few resources are as important as the Ogallala Aquifer. It is, after all, the principal source of irrigation for most of the region. But sadly, as we've reported previously, many area farmers have found themselves with their wells running dry. And Texas A&M AgriLife's Brent Averman says irrigation innovations can only go so far in countering the Ogallala's shrinking capacity.
6: The rate at which it's declining is either stable or increasing. That means we're either losing water faster or at the same rate we always have been by pumping it profitably out of the aquifer. We've got a problem here, and the problem is technology is essential, but it is not by itself enough.
2: Dr. Alverman, who is Center Director for the AgriLife Research and Extension Center in Amarillo, is among experts from eight states participating in the Ogallala Aquifer Virtual Summit scheduled for February 24th and 25th. The interactive online event will provide a platform for discussing the aquifer's future, including whether changes in water policy are needed.
6: I'm not calling for any particular thing. What I'm asking is an open question, and we need to ask and answer questions like the following. Is the rule of capture consistent with the kinds of organizations that we would need to engage in in order to preserve the aquifer for the long term. It may be that it is. I'm not suggesting that the answer is one or the other, but we have to be willing to confront that question head on.
2: If you'd like to participate in the Ogallala Aquifer Summit, registration is now underway. Visit ogallalawater.org. Once again, that's ogallalawater.org. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: The Texas legislature is considering groundwater
3: legislation to protect property owners. Tom Nicoletti takes a closer look. In the state legislature, Senate Bill 152 by Senator Charles Perry of Lubbock and House Bill 668 by Representative Cody Harris of Palestine have been filed to uh, give property owners, including farmers and ranchers, more transparency and fairness when it comes to protecting their groundwater rights. To go more in depth on these two uh, bills, we go to Texas Farm Bureau Associate uh, Director of Government Affairs, Billy Howe, and Billy joins us to explain what these Senate and House bills will uh, provide. And Billy, uh, first off, it requires a notice when the district will consider a permit or permit amendment that uh, prevents landowners from uh, drilling a well. Uh, continue on that thought.
7: District. Can give your neighbor basically a permit to drill a well. And under the district's rules, it then affects your right to drill a well on your property. And these permits can be issued without a public hearing. And in some instances, they can be issued by the manager of the groundwater district. And in those cases, that landowner that's going to be affected, they don't even have any idea that it's happening. So they don't have any ability to participate in the process because under the statute, affected landowners are supposed to have a right to be able to protest a permit if they think it affects their private property
3: rights. Also, uh, the legislation allows a landowner to petition the district to conduct rulemaking.
7: Yes, this is something that uh, we have with regards to state agencies and local entities that uh, you can petition them to change a rule or adopt a new rule or even repeal a rule. And uh, it's something that you don't have with groundwater conservation districts, which basically puts the landowner in a position to where if they feel like there's a bad regulation at the local level, their only choice is to go hire a lawyer and go to the courthouse. So this would give you an option to having to sue the district
3: Another aspect of uh, this uh, Senate and uh, House Bill uh, companion uh, legislation gives landowners fair access to the courts by giving the judge discretion in awarding attorney fees to a district. How does that work?
7: Well, under current law, if you were to challenge a district in court and lose, you are required to pay their attorney's fees. And what people need to understand is that your ownership of property and your rights to your property, the courts establish that through the common law. So the courts are also the ones that look at regulations and decide if they are a taking of your private property rights. So you've got to have fair access to the courts. And these groundwater districts are the only entities that regulate private property in the state of Texas where if you challenge them and lose, you're required to pay their attorney's fees. So that's got to be fixed.
3: That is Texas Farm Bureau Associate Director for Government Affairs, Billy Howe. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: The cold weather may have put a damper on farm activity in most of Texas, but down near the border, farmers have been busy. Jim Hearn reports from the Rio Grande Valley.
4: Planters have been rolling. Corn, sorghum, and cotton in that order will be planted. Well, cotton growers are especially anxious to plant now. Forget the damage done by Hurricane Hannah last year. As the harvest was about to begin, the valley lost 92% of its cotton crop last season. Now, the open weather has allowed sugarcane and vegetable harvest to continue with really no slowdown. The citrus harvest is also quite active right now. Prices remain very good. Boxes of grapefruit are selling for over $20. Now, the shortage of fruit form. The valley this year, brought on by the Hurricane Hannah of last year, has really sparked a big demand for valley grapefruit because of limited supply. Irrigation crews, well, they're still working overtime to keep up with irrigation demands of all the valley crops. Rangeland starting to green up now, cattle condition remarkably good. Stock tanks also, though, can use a little water. Valley Agriculture continues to watch the downward water levels at the Falcon Reservoir. It is now 40 feet below conservation level. Evaporation of water from the lake has been especially heavy with all the warm days. And while Falcon is only 26% full, Amistad... Upriver is at 74% full, and uh, that's with about 1.3 million acre-feet of water. That's plenty of water for pre-irrigation and plenty of water for municipal and agricultural uses. Water is needed is always brought down to Falcon from Amistad for those water uses. This is Jim Hearn reporting from the Rio Grande Valley for Texas Ag Today.
5: Two big cats in Texas have tested positive for the virus that causes COVID-19. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today.
1: And there are drugs available to increase bone density in horses. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at that coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
8: National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm Doster Harper, president of the National FFA Organization, and I'm from the state of Georgia. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week.
0: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today.
1: There are some drugs available to help increase bone density in horses. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look.
8: Biphosphonates have been recently used in horses to treat disorders such as Navicular Syndrome, and yet there is a lot that is unknown about these drugs. Dr. Heather Nitsch from UC Davis indicates that biphosphonates are used in humans to increase bone density in osteoporosis cases. The FDA-approved biphosphonate drugs for horses are Osphos and Tildrin, and they are approved for horses with navicular syndrome, but are also being used for other bone disorders. Bone resorption and bone formation is normally balanced in the body, but under certain circumstances, like aging, the resorption is greater than formation, and the bone becomes weak. These drugs decrease resorption of bone to make the bone stronger. In humans, doctors recommend stopping the drug for a period of time to prevent side effects, but we don't know how long the drugs remain in the bone in horses. Dr. Nitsch performed a study and found that the drugs were still present in the horse's teeth and bones at least 30 days after injection, and this could lead to long-term consequences. Another study found the drug in one California racehorse 18 months after it was administered. Because this drug remains in the bone an extended period, it is not approved in horses less than four years of age, and the effects on young horses are unknown. It is known that the half-life of the drug extends months to maybe even years, and the half-life is the amount of time it takes for 50% of a drug to be out of the body. So if you're using Osphos or children in your horse, there is a concern about using these drugs too often, which could lead to fractures as this has been reported in humans. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: Two big cats in Texas have tested positive for the virus that causes COVID-19. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report.
5: For the first time, a cougar in the United States has tested positive for the virus that causes COVID-19. USDA's National Veterinary Services Lab confirmed the case in a cougar at a facility that exhibits wild animals in Texas. A tiger at the same facility has also tested positive. The animals were tested after showing clinical signs of the virus, including wheezing and coughing. The tiger and cougar are expected to completely recover. USDA believes the animals were infected by someone working at the facility or a volunteer. USDA did not name the facility where the animals are housed and have not yet released their location. According to the Texas Animal Health Commission, the virus has been confirmed in a small number of animals worldwide, mostly in animals that were in contact with a human who had contracted the virus. Routine testing of animals is not recommended at this time. The Animal Health Commission says there's no evidence that animals play a significant role in spreading the virus to humans. People with COVID-19 can spread the virus to some animals during close contact. The Animal Health Commission says it is important for people with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 to avoid contact with pets and other animals to protect them from possible infection. Details are available on the Texas Animal Health Commission website. That's tahc.texas.gov. Three Texas cities are being recognized for their commitment to bird conservation and habitat. Galveston, San Antonio, and Surfside Beach have all received the Bird City Texas certification from Audubon, Texas, and the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. Bird City Texas is a community-focused certification that was created to help people protect birds and their habitats. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel.
1: The cattle market wrapped up the week on a positive note. On Friday, we had triple-digit gains in most of our cattle contracts, and we saw the cotton market hit contract highs. We'll take a closer look at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Anna Mathis from Arkansas. Because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, the FFA impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week.
0: We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today.
1: It was an up and down week for the cattle market. We wrapped things up on a positive note on Friday with triple digit gains in most of our cattle complex contracts. We'll start with live cattle. February up $1.87 at $117.20, $1. the April up $205, dollars 125 17 June up $1.77 at $1. $121.30. Same story in feeder cattle. March feeders up a dollar 70 at 14085, April feeder cattle up a dollar 35, 14472. The May up 85 cents, 14630. Cash fed cattle market somewhat quiet on Friday. However, packers did pick up some cattle earlier in the week at 114. Feedlots still holding out on Friday hoping to get 116 or better. Of course, uh, this cold weather definitely factoring into what's happening as far as the cash cattle trade is concerned. Boxed beef prices on Friday were mixed. Choice up 19 cents, 233.15. Select down 19 at 220.10. Now let's check the auction markets. Let's walk the pins with Larry Marble.
8: When you hear auctioneer Troy sound off on a Friday, it's time to talk to Brian Lintzman, Seguin Cattle Company. They sold them on a Wednesday. Cousin Brian, how'd things go?
9: Went pretty dang good, Larry. Uh, the quality of the cattle wasn't as deep. Cattle might have been a tick cheaper, maybe two, three dollars. But uh, at the end of the day, what we go back to calling a weather market. I mean, I, I dang sure wouldn't want to have a truckload dropped off tomorrow morning and then not have to weather them through all week <laughs> on those two to three weight steers. They brought from a dollar thirty to a dollar ninety one. Three to four weights, dollar thirty three to a dollar ninety three. Four to five weights, dollar twenty one to a dollar seventy. The five to six weights, dollar $1. one to a dollar twenty eight. Get to the heifer in two to three weight heifers, dollar twenty three to a dollar sixty five, three to four weights, dollar twenty three to a dollar forty eight, four to fives, dollar fifteen to a dollar fifty five, the five to six weight heifers, dollar ten to a dollar And then you get onto the utility cows. Top end of the cows brought sixty nine cents. Top end of the bulls brought ninety-five. The quality of the cows was good, but we had a bunch of thin cows this week. It, we ended up with six hundred and thirty six head and we had over one hundred and fifty cows. So that's just yeah. getting dry and, and people just can't hold on to them no longer. But on those good pairs they brought it up to 1200 And on the young palpated cows, $600 to about $875. Sheep and goats, good nannies, brought from $230 to $275. And the good kid goats brought from $3 to $345. Kid goats bringing up $6 a pound. Get into those dorpers, the good ewes brought from $135 to $160, with lambs bringing $240 to $295. Like I said, not a bad day.
8: We're going to play it by ear next week?
9: As of now, we're going to have a sale, but we're going to see what the buying companies decide to do.
8: Well, Brian, tell everybody how to contact you. Hey, give us a
9: call at 830-379-995 or you can call me on my cell
8: at 830-305-0652. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pins. I'm Larry Marble. You've been listening to Brian Lentzman of Seguin Cattle Company and I on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: Good day to you. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs close mixed. February hogs down $0.02, 74 even. April hogs up 958520 class 3 milk lower on Friday February milk down 3 cents 1563 the March contract down 51 at 1652 100 weight the cotton market continues to head toward 90 cents. We hit some contract highs during the overnight and daytime trading sessions. We ended up closing with the nearby March contract up 86 points, 87.27. May cotton up 79, 88.66. The December up 11, 83.89 cents. The wheat market closed higher, traders waiting to see what effect this cold snap is going to have on the winter wheat crop around the country. Of course, we're looking at single-digit temperatures in much of Texas and even colder up north. We close with July Kansas City wheat up six and a quarter, six twenty-five and three-quarters, July Chicago wheat up one and three-quarters, six thirty a bushel. The corn market edged downward on Friday. March corn down two and a quarter, five thirty-eight and three quarters, September corn down two and a half, four seventy-two and a quarter. In the energy markets, March natural gas up four cents, two ninety-one, March crude oil up a dollar thirty-five, fifty-nine fifty-nine a barrel. The financial markets higher, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 28 points, 31,458. The NASDAQ up 69 at 14,095. The S&P 500 up 18, 3,934. That wraps up our markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Hey, be sure to stay warm out there, and be sure to join us next time. We'll be right back here to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then.
0: Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today.